Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by SomersetSportsPerformance.com. Thank you very much for joining me today, and I would like to kick off today's show by telling you guys about something new that I'm going to start working on, and hopefully many of you will be excited by this. I'm going to start doing video analysis and video tennis lessons online. This is something that I have avoided doing in the past because of time commitments, and I, I want to make sure that whatever I do here on the site, I can really commit to fully, and I found a way to be able to do this without a whole lot of time commitment and investment on, on my own part. So hopefully I can start getting a lot of these out. Now, if you would like to be one of the few first people to have their video analyzed by myself, whether it be for stroke analysis and technique or point play and strategy, singles or doubles, you can do that. And I'm going to analyze for free the first 10 people who send me their videos. Now, in order to do this, you need to put your video up on YouTube. And again, this can be of either stroke technique of a specific stroke, or it can be video of yourself playing points, either singles or doubles. And I will analyze that video for you and put it back up on YouTube for you to view and receive instruction from me for free that way. So the first 10 people to send me their video, a link to their video on YouTube, will get free analysis from myself. All you have to do is send me an email to ian, I-A-N, at EssentialTennis.com. And in the subject line, just write video analysis. So first 10 people... And if you're not one of the first 10, don't worry. I'm going to start making this service available pretty soon, and I will let you guys know how exactly you can get analysis from me in the future. So let's get down to business, sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's get started with today's show, and I've got three great listener questions to answer today that I'm looking forward to. And our first one comes to us from B. Tran, Ben, who posted his question on the forums. Ben wrote and said, Hi, Ian. I am around a 4.0 level, self-rated. I have a decent topspin forehand, backhand, volley, serve, and overhead. Recently, I lost many matches that I was ahead in, won the first set, in baseline rallies until my opponent started to attack the net in the second and third sets. I'm so desperate to look for a way to fight back. I think their strategy works well due to the following things. Number one, the tennis balls got flat and bounced less in the second and third set, so I did not hit as hard as in the first set. They can start to hit an approach slice shot and go to the net. I was not as fresh as, the, as in the first set, so my shot had less pace and less consistency and made it easier for them to handle. Usually, I got 70% of my passing shots or lobs in the court once they came up to the net. However, since they can put away 50% of my 70% shot, in the end, they won 
the math most of the time. I lost to this player, but the matches were close, so I am sure I will play them again sometime soon. I would appreciate it if you could tell me what is the best way, short-term and or long-term, to beat this strategy. Thanks in advance, Ben. Good question, Ben. And no doubt, playing somebody who is a net crasher, somebody who loves to come into the net, can be difficult in singles. It, It really puts a lot of pressure on you being the person who's back on the baseline and trying to hit a good shot past them or over them. And that's part of the reason why I enjoy coming to the net so much. It really challenges your opponent. And in this scenario, your opponent is the person challenging you. So it can definitely be, it can definitely be tough to beat this kind of person. Now, to kick things off here, I'd, I'd like, first of all, I don't like excuses. <laughs> I, I, I tell my students to, to put away excuses all the time, whether it be a distraction on the courts or maybe I congratulate them on a good shot and they miss the next one and say, oh, thanks a lot for, for telling me I was doing well. Now I screwed up. I, I don't like excuses. And, and I think you saying that the balls being more dead in the second and third set is an excuse. Now, certainly there can be a difference, but I don't think that that any wear and tear on the balls over one or two sets after the first one is a legitimate reason for losing. Over three sets of play, there's not going to be a large enough difference for for you to really get thrown off very much, especially since you are a 4.0 level. Even if there was a large difference in how the balls were playing between the first set and the third set, you really should be able to adjust accordingly. And most of those adjustments are going to be in your footwork and being able to get up to the ball that's not bouncing quite as much. So I don't want you to use that as a crutch or as an excuse. I'm not mad at you. (laughs) However, I think you should take responsibility for what's going on here. Uh, And that's only part of what you said the, the problem was. So uh, I'm, I'm not saying you're completely making up excuses here. However, I don't think that's really a, a legitimate reason. Now, moving on to the rest of it, I'm definitely going to give you some feedback here on what you need to do to be able to beat this type of player consistently. And you're on the right track. You talk about hitting passing shots or hitting lobs. Um, but I'm going to give you three main ways to be able to defeat this player who's rushing forwards towards the net. First of all, To begin with, you need to do your best to keep your ground strokes deep in the court to begin with. Don't give them any easy opportunities to approach. So after the first set, and you say you're you're tired, so maybe we need to work on your fitness a little bit as well, Ben, but we need to be able to maintain a solid level of play from your ground strokes. We, We cannot give up weak, short shots to your opponents Even if you're tired and even if the balls are not bouncing as much, you need to stay relaxed and you need to hit a good, solid, consistent ground stroke deep in the court back to your opponent if they like to come to the net. The deeper you can keep your ground strokes, the more difficult it's going to be for them to approach. Now, there's many ways that you can keep your ground strokes deeper. One I just mentioned, make sure that you stay relaxed, and this may be part of why you're getting tired and worn out in the second and third set to begin with, make sure that as you engage in a ground stroke rally with your opponents, you keep your body relaxed and allow the racket to swing freely. So many recreational players play with a lot of tension and a lot of stiffness in their body. 
And if you can stay relaxed, it should help you quite a lot in keeping the ball deeper in the court. So stay relaxed. Also make sure that you're using your core well and you're rotating the big parts of your body, your, uh, which is your core, your torso, you know, your abs, your chest, your shoulders. That, that needs to rotate into every shot well. And again, keeping those parts of your body relaxed to let the, let the racket swing freely. So use your core well. Stay relaxed. Also keep the ball high over the top of the net. I'm not talking about six or seven feet. However, your average ground stroke at a 4.0 level should probably be three or maybe four feet over the top of the net to keep the ball deep in the court. If your ground strokes are are traveling a foot over the top of the net, they're not going to go very deep into the court. And that's going to give your opponent an easy opportunity to approach. And since this person likes to approach, we, we want to take that away from them. So make sure that you're lifting the ball and it, it's traveling consistently three feet over the top of the net. And lastly, make sure that you keep the ball in your strike zone and you're moving your feet well. If you're allowing the ball to to be low down below your knees or high up above your shoulder as you engage in a rally with this player, you're going to be coughing up a lot more weak shots that are going to give them opportunities to come forwards into the net. So all of those things I just mentioned, staying relaxed, using your core, keeping the ball high over the net, and keeping the ball in your strike zone on your side of the courts, these are all things that are going to help you keep the ball deeper to your opponent and hopefully take away their ability to approach easily. Now, even if you do all of these things well, it's still possible that they will still come into the net. So it's it's not going to immediately keep them off the net just because you're keeping the ball deep. It's very possible they will they will still come forwards. So it's it's not a fail safe. It's not going to completely defeat them most likely. However, this is going to be a good first step to beating this player. Is keeping your ground strokes deep to make it more challenging for them to come forwards to the net. So that's number one. Keep it deep to begin with. Number two, work on your passing shots. And number two and three are, are basically I, I'm going to be telling you to work on the shots that you're already trying. But we, we need to hit a little bit higher quality shot since your opponent is beating you when you're attempting these shots. So uh, number two is you need to work on your, your passing shot. And I want you to do this by playing competitive points with a practice partner. And I would suggest you do this by both of you starting on the baseline and you feed your practice partner, your, your opponent during your practice play, feed them a short ball on purpose. Make sure that it bounces in front of the service line and have them approach and come into the net. Hopefully you can find somebody with a good net game to help you practice this. But I would suggest that you both start on the baseline, you feed a short shot to your opponent, have them come forwards and approach, and then play out the points. And you need to practice hitting confident, full-speed passing shots over and over again. You can do this without keeping track of score at first, just to give yourself practice and repetition to help you build your confidence. But eventually, I want you to do this and keep track of score and play a game up to 10 points as an example. And every single point, you feed your practice partner a short shot, and every single point, they come to the net, and you just pass. Just hit passing shots. Don't even lob. And just practice hitting strong, aggressive passing shots. This is a shot that you need to get better at if your opponent is beating you consistently when you try to pass. So that's number two. Way number three that you're going to get better at beating this player is working on your lob. And your target for your lob should be past 
the halfway point between the service line and the baseline. Between the service line and the baseline, there's 18 feet of space. Most players are a little bit surprised to hear that. There's quite a bit of room between the service line and the baseline. I would like for you to aim about halfway back between that point and the baseline. So that gives you nine feet, nine feet of space between the baseline and your target. So you've got a target area of, of nine, nine feet back deep in the court. That's, that's where you should be aiming with your lob. And I would encourage you to get some kind of target, some kind of way to, to kind of mark off that area of the court. You could lay down some towels back there or make a line with a bunch of tennis balls halfway between the service line and the baseline and actually practice hitting that area on the court. Practice hitting it deep over and over again. You could also use this as point play. And you could do this without keeping track of score or with keeping track of score. I would recommend that you do it both ways. And the way I would set these these points up is by starting with you and your opponents again in the middle of the baseline. Feed a short shot. Feed an approach shot to your opponent. Have them come forwards and hit their approach back to you. Hit a ground stroke to your opponent to give them a volley. And then after their volley, once they're, once they're up at the net, then lob. So there's going to be several shots here before your lob. Your feed, which is short, an approach shot down the middle, a ground stroke hit by yourself back to the net player. That's the third shot. They will hit a volley, and then you will lob. So we've got a sequence of five shots here, and you and your partner both need to be under control and keeping the ball in play up until that fifth shot, which is going to be your lob, at which point I'd love for you guys to play out the points. But up until that fifth shot, be cooperative, keep the ball in play, get into the point, just like you would during your match play against this opponent, and then work on hitting your lob on the fly. I would I would really recommend to you, Ben, that you work on your passing shots and your lobs independently at first, practice hitting them with confidence, and then eventually play out some points against your practice partner and mix it up and try to keep your, your partner guessing and Hit, hit passing shots sometimes and other times hit lobs and practice hitting them both solid and well and confidently. And this is how you're going to beat your opponent through these three ways. And briefly, again, they were number one, keeping the ball deep to begin with to keep your opponent pushed back. Number two was working on your passing shots. And number three was working on your lobs. If you can improve at all three of these things, just a little bit each, you're going to start beating this person that you're, you're talking to me about. So, Ben, hopefully that answers your question. And I've, I've given you a lot of stuff here to work on. And I expect you to get out there and work hard at it. And I guarantee, I guarantee you it will pay off. If you go out and you actually practice what I'm describing and get the repetition and practice hitting these shots confidently, your game's going to improve and you're going to start beating this type of player more often. Thanks for your question, Ben, and good luck. Right. Next up, we've got a question by David in Seattle, Washington. David wrote to me and said, Hi, Ian. I just started listening to your podcast. It's a wonderful source for us tennis nuts. Great job. I have two questions. One, I had a hard time playing with one of my opponents. He is kind of similar to my level. Every time we play matches, if he is losing, then he will start hitting deep moon balls to my backhand. By the way, both of us are right-handed. 
Since I'm using an eastern backhand grip, it is hard for me to return these high balls cross-court deep back to his backhand. He takes advantage of this by going to the net and finishing the point. Could you please suggest a good way for me to handle this situation? And then question number two, my slice backhand isn't going forward a lot. It usually just bounces straight up or a little forward. I'm not sure if it is a grip issue or not. I use a continental grip for my backhand slice. Am I right? Thanks, David. Well, David, good questions. And yes, the the backhand that you're describing, the high backhand ground stroke can definitely be one of the most difficult shots in tennis. And you say you're using an Eastern backhand grip. So I assume here that you're a one-handed backhand player. David didn't say, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that based on how you're describing how you hold the rackets. So uh, given that you've got the one-handed backhand and your opponent is giving it to you high back deep in the corner, positioning on this shot is extremely important. Where you actually put yourself on the court to be able to hit this shot back is really going to determine how easy or hard of a time you have actually returning it. You should be doing whatever possible to hit every backhand at waist height. And I typically refer to this as a player's strike zone. And those of you listening in other countries might not find that that phrase familiar, strike zone. Uh, it comes from baseball here in the U.S. or other parts of the world. Baseball is becoming popular as well, such as Japan, where I know I've got a couple listeners. But the strike zone is basically where it should be easy for you to hit the ball. And in baseball, that's between the knees and the chest. And it's pretty similar to a strike zone in tennis as well. We want a, a ball to be struck somewhere in that area. And right around waist height is usually pretty ideal for most shots. And the one-handed backhand is definitely not an exception to that. So in order to get the shot in your strike zone, David, you've got two main ways of doing it. You've got two main options. Number one, your, your first option is to back up and allow the ball to drop after its bounce on your side of the court. If you're just standing on the baseline and your opponent hits a, a pretty solid deep shot that's bouncing up high and you just stay on the baseline and allow it to be a shoulder height shot or higher, well, that's your fault. Yes, they've hit a good shot and we got to give them some respect for that. But your first way of dealing with this should be to back up and allow the ball to drop. Let it get up to the peak of its bounce let gravity do its job and pull the ball back down again and back up far enough that the ball gets down to waist height. If you back up and the ball is still above your waist, if you're still trying to hit a backhand at shoulder height, you didn't back up far enough. Continue to back up until the ball drops down to your waist again. Now, this could be a lot of work because you've got to back up quickly before the ball gets to you and allow it to drop down to waist height hit the sh hit the shot, and then move back up to the baseline again. And it's possible that you're going to have to repeat that process over and over again. Well, so be it. That's, that's really just what you have to do to be a good player. You're going to have to use a lot of footwork and move quickly and put the ball in a comfortable position to hit over and over again. This is probably the, the easiest way of doing it is just to back up and allow the ball to drop. Now, there's a second way that you can do this as well, and that is called taking the ball on the rise or taking it on a, on a short hop. And, and we're going to do that by taking the ball right off the bounce and before the ball is able to rise above waist height. 
Now, this is a little bit more difficult of a shot timing-wise because we're taking the ball right right off the court, right after the bounce, and hitting it at waist height. So timing-wise, this can be a very tricky shot because we're hitting it on its way up off of the bounce before it gets up above waist height. And so you really have to position yourself very precisely and just in the right spot so that you're, you're, you're both not hitting it really, really low, you know, below your knees, like literally right off the bounce. You've got to be a little bit farther back than that to allow it to rise up a little bit higher. But you, you also don't want to put yourself too far away from the bounce because then the ball will rise up too high and you're going to end up hitting a high backhand shot again. So you have to put yourself in just the right spot. And it can be difficult because you don't have a lot of time between the bounce and when you actually make contact. You're going to be making contact with this shot pretty quickly right after the bounce. And so putting yourself right in the right spot can be pretty tough. However, taking the ball on the rise has a lot of benefits as well. It puts the ball in your strike zone as opposed to letting the ball come up above your strike zone around shoulder height and trying to make contact there. So that's one benefit. You're able to, to hit the ball in a comfortable spot. Secondly, it takes time away from your opponent as opposed to letting the ball come up and then letting it drop again. When you take it right off of the bounce, you're taking time away from your opponent that you would be using to back up, let the ball come up, let it come back down, and then hit the shot. So if they're trying to come into the net and you take it right off of the court, right off the bounce, you're catching them a little bit more off guard, they're a little bit farther away, and you're going to make things a little bit more difficult for them by taking that time away from them. It also keeps you in a much better court position. You're not backing way up behind the baseline to allow the ball to drop. You're, you're taking it, at the very least, right at the baseline, uh, or maybe a couple of steps behind the baseline. If the ball is literally bouncing on the baseline, you may have to be a couple feet behind the baseline in order to let it come up to your strike zone. But that's as opposed to backing all the way up to the curtain sometimes, or the back fence depending on where you're playing, to actually let the ball come up and then come all the way back down to your waist again. So you're keeping yourself in much better position and you're taking time away from your opponent and we're putting the ball in your strike zone. So taking the ball right off of the bounce on the rise has a lot of benefits to it. But again, this is a difficult shot timing-wise. So I would encourage you, David, to, to practice both of these. Practice backing up and allowing the ball to drop down to your strike zone and also practice taking the ball right off of the bounce on the rise, again, hitting the ball at waist height, but right right after the bounce and not allowing it to get up above your strike zone. Those are your two main options to hit the ball in a comfortable place and not allow it to get high to your backhand side. Now, to answer your second question, you're talking about your backhand slice, and this can be very useful. This is basically our third option, which is allowing the, allowing the ball to get up a little bit higher and hitting a backhand, a one-handed backhand slice instead of trying to drive it or hit a topspin shot from waist height. And yes, continental grip is correct for this shot. You don't want to keep with an eastern backhand grip. You, you should be switching over to continental. That's definitely the way to go. Now, if it's not getting very much drive and you're not getting very much depth with that backhand slice, make sure that you're using your shoulder to drive th through the shot and you're not using your wrist or your forearm, which are both quite a bit weaker than your shoulder and your core. You want to be using the big muscles of your body to really drive through this shot and hopefully get it deep so that you challenge your opponent back again and you don't cough up these short, weak shots that are allowing him to come forwards and attack to the nets. And also make sure that you're not 
using a racket path that is predominantly downwards or sideways. And you say you're right-handed, so that would be a racket path that's left to right, putting a bunch of side spin on the ball or high, a very high to low, which puts a lot of backspin on the ball and, again, spins the ball a lot, but typically results in a short, weak reply and doesn't go very deep in the court. It sounds like this might be your problem with the backhand slice. Make sure that you are swinging your racket predominantly forwards out towards your target with a slightly open racket face to create some good depth and not cough up the short ball. So, David, that's my my response to your question. You've got basically three main options. Allow the ball to drop to your strike zone, take the ball on the rise in your strike zone, or improve that slice by hopefully improving your, your racket path and making it a, a little bit more of a penetrating shot. Thanks for the, for the great question, David, and good luck. Feel free to write me back if you have any further questions. All right, and let's finish up today's show with a good question from Jason FC in the Bay Area, California. And this is a, this is a difficult question that Jason asks, and I haven't left myself a whole lot of time to, to talk about this, but I'm going to try to be clear on my thoughts and give you guys a good idea of what I think is the answer <laughs> quickly here. Jason wrote and said, not many people can afford to hire a personal instructor or attend tennis classes. The internet is a good source for free instruction. There are thousands of videos and articles that offer help on improving your tennis game, but how many of these videos are really going to improve your game? Which brings me to another question. How will you know if the information that you are getting from the internet is good for your tennis game? Is there a way to tell which ones are good and which ones are misleading? Having little or no knowledge about tennis, it's hard to tell which ones are really going to boost your game. Any tips on getting the most out of online tennis instruction? Jason. Well, excellent question, Jason. And I'll start off my answer by saying that I'm not I'm not I'm not going to to badmouth or or list, you know, here's my list of tennis websites that give bad information <laughs> and here's my list of tennis websites that give good information. I'm not going to do that. I don't think that would be very tactful or or tasteful or very professional. But I will give you guys some, some guidelines. And let me start off by saying that uh, there's definitely a lot of good information and a lot of good instruction on the internet. And it's just like any other topic online. You have to, you have to judge for yourself if it's good information or not. And that, as Jason said, that can be difficult because not all of us are experts on whatever we're trying to find information on. That's why we're looking for information on a certain topic to begin with, because we're not experts and we're looking for good, solid information. And while there is good information online, yes, there there is also bad information. There's subpar tennis instruction online, and there's tennis instruction online that's just plain wrong. I'll, I'll definitely say that. There, there's incorrect tennis instruction all over the internet. And this is one of the reasons why I started Essential Tennis was I, I looked around at what what else was available, and I was, uh, for the most part, I was very surprised. I was surprised at the how popular and how much 
action, how many views on YouTube and, and you know, how many comments and et cetera, certain instructional videos were getting when I, I felt like the instruction was just plain wrong. And so I thought to myself, well, geez, you know, I, I should be able to do this pretty well and, and good, give good, solid, fundamental information and, and hopefully get some traction as well and, and gain an audience when, when people who are giving misinformation are, are actually getting popular in the first place. Now, I'm just going to give you, Jason, three main ways, three uh, tests that you can hopefully run to, to get a general idea of whether or not what you're, you're watching or listening to is good. First of all, uh, way number one to, to judge what you're, what you're looking at online is does it make sense? And the way that I teach the game of tennis is very common sense. It's very common sense oriented and it, it should be logical and it, it it should just hopefully just just click in the way that it's presented it should be explained simply it should be explained in, in ways that a lay person can understand and apply to their own tennis game and if it's extremely complicated and just doesn't make sense and you have more questions at the end of the video that you watched or at the end of the audio that you listened to than when you started, uh, you should probably shy away from that instruction, in my opinion. Number two, it should be applicable to your level of play. There's a lot of tennis instruction online that shows Roger Federer hitting a forehand and getting extremely technical with with very small details, small parts of the swing. And there's a lot of people trying to apply very detailed and technical things that the pros are doing to an average level recreational player's game. A lot of times, I don't think that's very appropriate. When you, when you guys look at a 3.0 level player or a 3.5 level player, it's not the angle between the player's uh, forearm and bicep. It's not the angle of their elbow or the angles in their arm that's going to make the difference between being a 3-0 player and a 3.5 level player. It's going to be the simple, fundamental, easy, essential things that are going to make the difference between being a bad tennis player and a mediocre tennis player. And most of the players looking for instruction online are average level players. There's not 5.0 level players looking for instruction online because they're 5.0 level players. For them to really get to the next level of play, they're probably going to be more spending time on the courts and drilling and playing against high level players than they are going to be looking for tips online, trying to improve their game. So you guys should be looking for instruction that's applicable to your level of play and is not just here's how the pros hit a serve and, and looking at um, little, little, little things. It should be the big fundamental things that the person is teaching if you are, in fact, a, an amateur player, if you're an average level tennis player, which is around a 3.5 level. Now, number three, there, there should be specific examples and instances of good players actually performing what's being taught to you. And this one, the third one, is more along the lines of looking for misinformation. And there are lots of videos on YouTube of tennis instructors teaching bad technique, technique that, in my opinion, is actually the opposite of what you should be doing. 
And the way that you root these things out, and it, t- it takes a little bit of work and effort on your part, is by listening to what they're talking about and watching and, and seeing what they're giving is in terms of instruction, and then actually watching good players and observing them and seeing if that's actually how they do it. And I know it kind of seems simple, but this is how you root out information and, and instruction that's actually the opposite of what you should be doing. And believe it or not, there's plenty of instruction out there that's the opposite of what a solid player does. So uh, these are kind of subjective things, guys. And, and uh, you know, just like anybody else online, these are my opinions. And, uh, you know, I like to think that my opinions are valuable and they're helpful and and they've proven to be so because listeners of this show do improve their game. I, I hear back from players every day and, and every week all over the world that are getting better. And what I teach is just the, the simple fundamental things. And that's usually how most players are going to improve their game. So you guys should really just be looking for somebody who's teaching the fundamentals and and really pay close attention to that. Don't get caught up in the little details and little quote, tricks or, or tips or, or complicated things that the pros might be doing. Don't get me wrong. You can learn a lot from the pros, but the biggest things that you guys can learn for the most part are the, the basics. And, and that's how, how really you guys are going to improve your game. So Jason, hopefully that wasn't too convoluted. Hopefully that makes sense and it's actually helpful to you. And I'd be curious to hear your feedback on that. So Good luck, Jason. Good luck to all of you in your quest to, to finding instruction that really helps you. And, and that's really what I'm trying to do here on the Essential Tennis Podcast is give out the, the best information possible to really help you guys improve your game. All right. That does it for episode number 92 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. I truly appreciate your support of the show by downloading the file and listening to the show. Hopefully it's been helpful to you. Just two quick shout outs here before we wrap things up. And both these shout outs go to our most recent signups at the forums at EssentialTennis.com. The first one goes out to Mark and Garrett in Houston, Texas. They are a father-son duo. Garrett is 11 years old, and he and his father, Mark, are are both working on their tennis games together. Sounds like a really great team as they continue to try to improve their their tennis games together. And they signed up under the screen name of Mark Pike on the forums at EssentialTennis.com. So welcome to you two, and they they sound like really enthusiastic and, and passionate tennis players. So I'm looking forward to their posting on the forums, and also Ichiro in Japan, first uh, forum sign up in japan so ichiro really good to have you on the forums as well and i look forward to you posting a lot also so welcome guys that does it for today's show take care everybody and good luck with your tennis 